Hello there, I'm Patrick Strove, Trusted Authority in Executive and Transactional Liability and President of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. Now a proud member of the Liberty Company Insurance Broker Network. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Rennie C., Vice President for Business Development for Boyne Capital. Boyne Capital was established in 2006 in Miami, Florida, with a focus on investing in lower middle market companies. Boyne has a unique approach to investing. It's an approach that forges lasting and collaborative relationships with companies whose founders and families are still deeply involved with growing their business. It's a term they call a value cultivator approach. Rennie, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Patrick. It's great to be here. Now, before we get into Boeing Capital and the value cultivator approach, I just is a unique wording there. So that, that's that's mm-hmm. very, very interesting. Let's start with you. What brought you to this part, point in your career? Oh, gosh. Where do I even start? Um, I guess I have what you call a non-traditional background. Okay. Uh, so starting from the very beginning, I was born and raised in Jakarta, Indonesia, the oldest of three siblings, the first one to actually go to college. I came to the U.S. Um, to attend college at California State University, Fresno, so right by you. Um, and my major was classical piano performance. After graduating from CSU Fresno, I went on to do my master's and then auditioned to a bunch of different schools to try to find a scholarship for me to keep going to school because I like school that much. Um, (laughs) Eventually, ended up in University of Miami Frost School of Music doing my doctorate in classical piano performance. So I did that until 2016. Um, And then I found myself uh, married with a young child and then realized that oh my, I've been doing this for my whole life and it's not going to pay the bills, unfortunately. Yes. My husband um, told me I should go back to business schools and get MBA and I told him he was crazy. Um, But I'm glad I took the chance, went back to business school at University of Miami, did a full-time MBA, two-year program there, interned with Goldman Sachs in the summer, took a full-time job with them uh, in their Florida office. Three years in, learned a lot from Goldman, really enjoyed working there, but always had a knack with entrepreneurship and and, and private equity and and that world. My dad is an entrepreneur. So I got in touch with Derek McDowell at Boyne Capital and technically, basically just asked him for a job. Um, He gave me me a chance. So that was more than three and a half years ago. I'm still sitting happily here at Boyne Capital. My primary focus here at Boyne is deal originations and LP relations. So what that means is I connect us with potential sellers or what we call potential partners. And and so you're you're on that connection. Is there any, you know, the skill set you have from being a high-level concert pianist in, into the financial world? I just it, it it that's a really unique matchup. Yeah, I would say um you know, contrary to popular belief, people think that artists or musicians are on a creative side okay. or yeah. more prone to, to creativity yes. and, yes. you know, on the art side. I'm not. And I think most of my colleagues in, in the music world isn't either. We're trained to like stare at tiny little notes and tiny little details. So I, I would say that we have, we're really attentive to details. Okay. That's one. 
and then when focus and then the discipline you're used to like practicing eight nine hours a day I guess without pay (laughs) or or, or without like actual benefits right other than getting better so those same skills that like I brought over and I have found like my training in, in classical music has been very helpful Tell me about Boyne, and why don't we start with this? How did they come up with the name? Because that usually gives you some insight into the culture and the founder. Yeah, so uh, like you said, Boyne was founded in 2006 by Derek McDowell, our CEO and managing partner, who today is still very involved in all aspects um, of the firm. Um, the name Boyne Capital came from River Boyne um, in Ireland. Okay. It's a very pretty river. So I'm not sure about what's special about River Boyne. I should probably educate myself about that. Um, but that's where it came from. We are a lower middle market focused private equity firm. We are based in Miami. Um, there is 26 of us sitting in Miami, which is crazy because when I joined three years ago, there's only 16, 17 of us. So we have grown a lot, uh, which is exciting time. And lower middle market is what we define as companies with EBITDA between three to $15 million, typically revenues under $100 million. Um, and you asked me why a lower middle market space, you know, it's because I think we can provide the most value in this space. Mm, yeah. um, you know, lower middle market companies um, often are family owned, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they usually do not have you know, the infrastructure or um, the capital um, to grow on their own without eating into the sellers or the management team's time and and personal capital, right? So that's where we came in. Um, we we like to partner with business owners, management team, or you know, I guess the sellers um, in this case. We do majority recapitalization and usually um, position ourselves as a solution provider because. If you think about it, most business owners think about PE partnership as an exit route, right? It's like, oh, a PE firm wants to buy me, therefore I must exit 100% and give give them the keys to my house. But that's not usually the case, especially not with us. With us, it's not 100% exit. And for the most part, we actually uh, do not encourage that. We encourage them to hang on to a minority equity because we will help them grow their business Together, we're going to maximize enterprise value, and then they will actually have a much bigger exit the second time around. So we now do it that, together. Yeah, that second bite of the apple, which is always Correct. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's where the value cultivator concept come in, right? Uh, we always joke internally, uh, we're not good at leverage buyout, but we're excellent in leverage buy-in. So we okay. buy into those those management teams and those owners of the businesses and really support them through their growth initiatives. And um, and there are many ways that, that I can go into details, um, uh, examples of how we how we support them. Well, I think that uh, is very helpful because there are a lot of owners and founders that they they reach an inflection point. Some of them are looking for an exit. And then it's just, well, do they really want an exit or do they just want to change and they just don't know how to do it? And that's right. where you can find on a lot of owner-founder businesses where an owner, com, you know, commences a process, and then all of a sudden is reluctant and starts dragging their feet, which can get very, very frustrating because they really didn't want to give up something that was the core of their life. And you know, and there are those that do want to do that, and there's an avenue. But the others that they don't want to give everything away. They've spent a lifetime building something, and they're, as I mentioned, the inflection point where 
they're they're too small to be enterprise, but they're too big to be small now. And so what do they do? And they just don't know where to go. And unfortunately, and this is why we wanted to go and meet with Boyd Capital, is that if they don't know about owners and founders, if they don't know about Boyd Capital, they may default to, you know, partner with a strategic that may not have their best interests at heart, or they're going to go to an, a, you know, an institution. And, you know, where, where if you go to an institution, you're going to get underserved, you're going to get overpriced, and you're not going to get what you really wanted. But a lot of people don't know about this. And, and, and the right. thing with capital particularly is, okay, you started in 2006. In 2019, there were over 5,000 private equity firms now, okay? More than half of them look to the lower middle market. And so, you know, you have to have something unique that comes and, and speaks to these owners and founders, depending on what they want. If the ones that want an exit, they can go someplace. Others that want to get to that other side and see how to cross the finish line, they, they can come to an organization like Boeing. You mentioned that with your value cultivator approach, there are a couple ways that that manifests. Give us a couple of examples, if you could. So for, for most of our platform um, investments, like I said, uh, typically they don't have the necessary key executives in place, um, typically like a CFO or a controller, that they would actually have to go out and hire. And recruiting and hiring takes a lot of time away from the, the CEOs yes. from running the business, right? So our team, our operations team in-house has a team of operations, uh, people that actually work hand-in-hand with the portfolio company management team to do financial reporting and, you know, executing their growth plans, talking through 100-day strategy. And within that team, also seat my colleague, uh, whose title is VP of Human Capital, and she's been instrumental in hiring and adding key hires to portfolio companies as they become on board. So the so the management team doesn't have to. You shave time, and that's definitely a valuable thing to to present to, to potential partners. And then also, of course, you know when when you're trying to grow by acquisition and you're trying to do it on your own, it, it is a huge undertaking, right? Even if you're doing it not to sell your company but to acquire companies to grow your own, it is helpful to have somebody like us, um, you know, with capital and then more than just capital to, to help you execute, identify targets and make sure that you're going down the right path. Um, yeah, experience helps, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And also like given the pandemic, um, some businesses, you know, thrive, some businesses didn't, but I bet a lot of business owners would not want to go, go through that again alone. It's helpful oh. to always have a partner. Yeah. I can imagine. Well, the other thing that's key when you're, uh, you got the skill set with the human capital particularly now, it's not only a challenge to, to um, recruit, but it's retained. Yeah. And I think yeah. that probably what you have is um, a, a great skill set and an advantage on that front. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that you're not coming in and the, the perception with a lot of private equity firms from outside uh, okay. is that the private equity firm is going to come, as you said, load them up on debt and do a lot of financial reengineering. You don't do that. You're no. looking at no. We want we want to go ahead and we're going to reset and get some operations and get people in. That's right. So for for from our side, partnership is extremely important, right? The fit is important because 
we have the mindset of like, this is going to be a long-term partnership to grow this thing together, to make it bigger, make it better for everyone. So it's not just kind of like acquire and hold or like come in and clean house and put in as much as our people on the board. No, it's not that. So every single um, this, uh, major decision-making is made in partnership with management team. So so we think that's very important. Again, there's like something for everyone, right? So if someone wants to like retire 100% and hand over the keys, probably not for us. But if someone who wants to actually, a partner who supports their growth and willing to roll off our sleeves and actually do the work, like putting in infrastructure, putting in NetSuite, doing key hires and actually clean up everything and make it, you know, better and more more professional, then we would probably be a good fit. Talk about, you You mentioned lower middle market where you got owner, founder involved. Fill out the profile. What's the profile of Boeing Capital's ideal target? What are you looking for? So aside from the financial profile, three to 15 million EBITDA, revenue under 100, typically what we look for are some, some, a business with good growth potential, um, proven profitability. Um, I guess that's probably kind of normal. But someone who has grown their business to a point that they can't anymore or they need help to do more and they want to do more, right? So that's the key. So, so like you said, it's inflection point, but they want to push through that inflection point inside of okay, this in- inflection point and I think I'm done for the day. Um, and in terms of industries, we're pretty agnostic. Um, we like uh, business services, more asset-like businesses, um, you know, and a bunch of different different verticals. And we have an areas of interest that we list on on our website if people yep. want to go and check it out. Um, but most importantly, is the partnership. It has to be with the right management team. Um, yeah. So that's the, that's where the fit is. Uh, any issues on uh, geograph- geographical? Uh, so we, we invest in U.S. and Canada. Uh, right. If you look at our current active portfolio, portfolio companies or even former portfolio companies, it's all over the place. Uh, we okay. have companies in Florida, California, Wisconsin, Kansas City. Um, officially, we are looking for investments in Canada. We just haven't found one yet. One of the recent trends that's been happening in mergers and acquisitions and why we've had such a big growth in private equity is the successful transition that M&A transactions are having right now. They're happening more efficiently. They're happening uh, cheaper, faster, all those other wonderful uh, terms that you have. And one of the reasons why the industry has gone from a few hundred private equity firms to 5,000 today is that the transactions themselves are a lot easier to execute. And one of the byproducts of that or one of the creators of that has been that there's been uh, a product out in the insurance world called reps and warranties insurance. And what it has done is really elegantly transferred risk away from buyer versus seller to a third party with deeper pockets so that if both parties can transfer risk for a reasonable price, okay, Deals go forward, and not only do they close, but then the the post-closing transition is that much easier because, again, you don't have one party against another. And so, you know, don't take my word for it. Rennie, good, bad, or indifferent, what's your experience been with rep and warranty insurance? 
I totally agree with you, Patrick. We have had a very good experience using it as a way to take a major area of buyer-seller negotiation off the table for many of our transactions. I think we use it in about like 80% of our platform transactions now. You know, it removes the often contentious issue of escrow size and exposure cap for seller indemnification, and it gets more cash in their pockets at closing. And it still protects us from from unknown issues in the business um, that are discovered post close. So we're we're a big proponents of rep and warranty, and we will I, we will continue to to keep using um, rep and warranty insurance. And and now the rep and warranty insurance market is so robust, so we can typically find good coverage and option for pricing. Could not have said it better myself. Yeah. Thank you, thank you so much. I think one of the great things about the platform we want to bring to people's attention in the audience is that reps and warranties used to be a product reserved for deals at $100 million enterprise value and up. They had rigorous uh, due diligence requirements, financial requirements, all those things. And the price was still relatively good, but the eligibility criteria to get in was difficult, particularly for the lower middle. And what's great is there's been a new product that's been introduced that provides a sell side rep and warranty policy and it protects sellers and the buyers involved in deals at a $15 million transaction value and down. So you can buy up to $10 million in limits on a $10 or $11 million company and cover everything all the way up to the thing. And it's a fraction of the cost. And what's nice is the more that uh, organizations like yours in the lower middle market are aware of this because it's not only good for platform acquisition, but for add-ons which usually, you know, you had to go bare because they weren't eligible. Now it's there. So it's one of those things we wanted to make sure we we pointed out to everybody. Rennie, as we just turned the corner from 2021 to 2022, and I don't see uh, robust M&A activity drop, dropping anytime soon, share with me, what trends do you see either in M&A or Boeing Capital? Tell me what you see. So can't predict the future, Patrick. Um don't have a crystal ball, but what I can tell you is like, I think the trend of um, what we are seeing in 2021 is going to going to continue um, just from macro environment. The pandemic, the pandemic, I guess, is, is still here, surprisingly. Right. So people still have that mentality. Probably they don't want to go through another round of, of difficulties alone. Uh, so that's going to drive some activity. And some people probably have difficult situations happen with, you know, health or family that got them to rethink their priorities and maybe they want to step back, retire from the business. And some people probably want to start their own business because like they quit their corporate jobs, right? So those definitely will contribute to, to, to stronger M&A, M&A uh, environment and things like tax code changes also. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that, that, that could potentially um, make it even more robust but whatever it is, you know, like I, I see just good things hopefully happening in 2022. We are excited to see what it has in store for us. I, I completely agree. I mean, one of the things that I'm stealing from a prior guest is that, you know, we have economic cycles come and go. Pandemics are going to come and go. Tax changes are going to come and go. One thing that is going to be constant is time. And yeah. as, you know, a lot of these owners and founders, many of them are baby boomers, they're getting to the point where they're going to reach their own personal inflection point, and that's that's going to be father time. 
So I think that there's going to be a very large transition as we go forward. And that's going to carry forward, I believe, sincerely for the next couple of years. But, you know, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed and hopefully uh, things things will move, move as they've been moving. So this is good. Now, Renny, how can our audience members find you in Boeing Capital? First place to check is our website. It's www.boyncapital.com. It is spelled B as in boy, O as in Oscar, Y, N as in Natalie, E as in echo, capital.com. Uh, you can find myself there with my contact information. It's Renny C. I always tell people it's like Jenny with an R. That's easier. My email is rc at boyncapital.com. It's spelled R as in Robert, S as in Sierra, I as in Echo. No, I as in Italy, E as in Echo at boyncapital.com. And you can call me at 305-856-9500. Fantastic. Renny C. from Boyan Capital, absolute pleasure talking to you in this value cultivator approach. Really, really like it. It's very, very refreshing. It's, it's just... It's this abundance thing where you take something, you're just going to make more for everybody. And I, I think that's just very, very positive. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Patrick. Take care.